0: From India's largest newsroom, I'm Arun George and this is the Times of India podcast. So we did this episode after this year's union budget in which the incentive to opt out of tax-saving investments rose dramatically for many people. But the thing is, this episode's also a really good guide on investing at a time when stock markets are booming and there are murmurs of a possible slowdown in the coming year. It's also getting to that time of the year when we make our last-minute tax-saving investments. If you're among those quickly looking around to save tax, we hope this episode helps. So,
1: in the old tax regime, it was all about choosing products that will help us save tax. So, investors were first selecting products that will help them maximize tax savings and then if at all they do worry about, they worry about their goals, etc. So uh, the old tax regime is a product-first approach instead of a process-first approach, and that is the main reason why I I think it's 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 good that the new tax regime is uh, has taken over. In a product-first approach, uh, people ask questions like, "Where should I invest to save tax? What is the retirement plan? Uh, do I need to buy?" or what is the child plan I need to buy. So they are looking at products all the time. Whereas in a process first approach, uh, which is how I think everybody should be doing is, you first look at your goals, you look at the kind of inflation that's gonna impact those goals in future for how much you need for it in future. And then you decide on uh, the kind of asset allocation that you need, that is you ask yourself, does this uh, goal warrant any risk from my side? Do I take on capital market risk at all for it? or or not and how much risk can I take and how much risk I should be taking for that goal and uh, getting into some kind of agreement between those two ideas and so decide on the asset allocation, look at product categories suitable for those asset allocation and only finally look at the products.
0: That's M. Raman, IIT professor, author and financial advisor. As you can tell, he's a big believer in the changes in the new tax regime that were announced in the latest union budget. Just in case you missed it, the new tax regime, which was first announced a couple of years ago, underwent a major change this year.
1: Thus, persons in the new tax regime with income up to 7 lakhs will not have to pay any tax at all. The second proposal relates to middle-class individuals. I had introduced in the year 2020 the new personal income tax regime with six income slabs starting from 2.5 lakh. I propose to change the tax structure in this regime by reducing the number of slabs to five and increasing the tax exemption limit to three lakhs.
0: If you're close to your 30s or older, you've probably bought various tax saving products since you started working. Some of them are for when you retire 40 years from now others are for when you die. But our guest on today's episode says many of these products may be saving you tax but not getting you enough returns. One big question is what happens to long-term savings instruments like Public Provident Fund or PPF and insurance schemes if we only invest looking at the short term? Wouldn't we then invest only in quick return instruments which could mean we're left with not that much money by the time we retire and if the markets don't give enough returns? We address these questions and more to our guest M. Pataviraman, who's the author of the book You Can Be Rich Too and two other books. He also runs the site Free FinCal, which offers people investing advice. In today's episode, we're talking to him about why he's bullish about the government letting people choose their own investments. He also explains how we need to invest rather than just looking at making tax-saving investments. What you're saying is completely contrary to something we've been told over decades, right? Like almost every tax saving tool we have currently fits that description where it's all for some notional time when you are supposedly not going to be earning and you need that steady income. And that's when that tool is going to come in use. So you should just put your money in it and wait till you turn 60. And then, you know, suddenly you will have these returns that have magically appeared over years. Uh, what's wrong with that then, according to you?
1: There's nothing wrong with the
0: products. I mean, there can be nothing wrong with the product. It's just the question of, uh, are we choosing the
1: right products for our needs? Now, the, the problem with a saving mindset is that it does not take into account how lifestyles have changed. Just a couple of uh, days ago, I got a email from a reader who said in 2002 my monthly expenses are 10,000 rupees. And in 2022, my monthly expenses have grown to 1 lakh. Now, that is an inflation of about 8.5% or something like that. So if I'm still in saver mode, I will not be able to combat inflation, especially coming from lifestyle changes during retirement and also just before retirement. Because most of our uh, the way we spend has changed today. I would say we have now graduated from a saving society, saving first society to a spending first and a little bit of investment uh, society. So I think it is it's appropriate that we change our mindset
0: from being savers to to investors and choose appropriate products So also, what you said involves like the process you described is a long one, right? That you should look at your goals, you should look at how much risk you want to take, look at product categories, then finally look at the products. But that's something most of us don't do. What what we like is being told that, look, this is your product, this is your best thing, that is the easy one. And you go in sort of almost trusting what that conventional wisdom is. Then what are the risks that come with that? The
1: first thing is it won't be able to keep pace with inflation you will get some return but that may not be enough for us there are two ways to look at it one is you look at you buy conventional products conventional savings oriented products like uh insurance policies money back policies traditional policies etc those are going to uh, give you a return much lower than realistic inflation estimates around us and therefore we are guaranteed to uh, end up with a corpus uh, lower than what is necessary for the end purchase or for retirement. That is that is one danger. The other aspect is, even in capital market instruments, people make the mistake of uh, dreaming of large returns. And there, there are people still today who say, I'll comfortably get 15% return in the future. Whereas there's enough evidence to show that the Indian equity uh, returns have been gradually coming down. So then they would uh, make the mistake of not investing enough. They would expect a higher return and not invest enough, whether whereas their actual return may be lower. And again, they will end up uh, being short. So it's that's the big risk of not looking at your goals and not actually having a target corpus in mind. If you don't know how much you actually need to end up with, it's very hard for you to
0: uh, you know um, invest the right amount. That's the big problem. Could you give us an example of something that is missold and something that probably all of us are holding on to right now without really understanding why we're even holding on to it? First of all, I think every product is missold and is misbought.
1: And I think every product must be missold to stay alive. But, but there's not, that's not a big problem because there are investors ready to misbuy everything. Because they they have their dreams and people want to sell sell them those dreams. So that's one aspect of it. If you want to ask, look for a common product that I would say the traditional money back endowment policies, everybody has a few. But if you look at it, most of us are underinsured. The the sum total of the insurance of all those policies would be much less than uh, the minimum required of 15 times annual uh, income. So that's the big problem of chasing tax saving products first without actually looking at needs. If the main uh, breadwinner of the family dies, the rest of the family has to fend sometimes forever until their lifetimes or at least until the children you know come of age and start working themselves. So it's, it's it depends on the situation. So 15 times annual income is typically the minimum required. It can be more for other people. But Once you decide or once you tell yourself, that's my goal, I want to insure my family with that much money, then automatically a term insurance becomes the only policy you can afford because you can't buy a cover 15x annual income
0: with any other endowment policies or ULIPs. it will cost you a packet, it will cost you too much. How do we even make these goals really in some ways?
1: See, um, there are many uh, readers who write to me. You keep talking about goals all the time. I'm, I'm just, uh, I'm, I'm 22, 23. I've just started earning. So, what is the goal I have? I keep telling them, look, yes, you, that's fine. But everybody's goal should be financial independence. There should be a shift in mindset from retirement with a pension to financial independence, where you are generating an income that can fight inflation. So everybody has that single goal where you say, I'm in a tough job now. Maybe I will invest for a few years, get about five years, 10 years living expenses. And maybe I'll I'll do something else, something that I love. That can be a goal. Or I can retire early, uh, let's say by 50 and just do what I want. I have options with me. So financial independence is a, I would say is a mandatory goal, whether we want it or not, whether we like it or not. The other thing depends on circumstances, whether we are married, how many kids we have and so on. But those things come as and when you can cross those bridges later.
0: So now you have the new tax regime, which is a major shift. And because we are for the first time looking at a scenario where the government is not incentivizing savings for retirement in any form. So how do you view that sort of where the state gets completely removed from that act of telling people to save? I think it's wonderful because I think we should not
1: expect the government to uh, incentivize anything, particularly saving. We should get rid of that mindset that the government is there to help us uh, get returns or help us save and so on. I think this is a very dated idea. Probably that was the case with our parents maybe three decades ago. Things have changed now. The way I look at it, the government is a corporation trying to stay afloat and uh, it has its own expenses, it has its own uh, 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 income and so on. The, the same thing applies to us and we should think of ourselves as an independent uh, company, our family as an independent company which we are trying to keep afloat. We are trying to weather the storm of the, the future and therefore I think we should get rid of this idea that the government should help us in some way or should incentivize us. In fact, I would say that the the new tax regime can be viewed as the government incentivizing us to do what we want with our money instead of locking it up in uh, x or y product with some different time frames of lock in i can save the same amount of tax by just choosing a, the new tax regime and i'll have the same that money after tax uh, free free with me to invest wherever i want the youngsters would my feeling
0: is they would they would like that but uh, one argument would be again, would be that, you know, there would be these post-retirement tools like National Pension Scheme, PPF and others, which again would leave you with this good amount of money for your retirement. Why aren't you a fan of that argument?
1: No, I'm, I'm not saying those products are bad. My point is, ask yourself, are those products suitable to me? Don't invest in them just because they save tax. I strongly believe that the taxation rules are, or changes in the rules are primarily for the government's benefit and not for our benefit. For example, the before the additional 50,000 tax saving in NPS came along, there were no takers for the NPS. And even today, we don't have the data, but I'm willing to wager that if you look at the subscribers in NPS, Most of them, aside from the uh, the the government subscribers for whom it's mandatory, and for the corporate people who invest in it because they get the employer contribution as well, the other guys, the individuals, most of them are in it only for that extra fifty thousand saving. They're not in it for you know as a tool for retirement corpus. The government incentivized it because it suited them. It suited their narrative. They wanted to popularize NPS, but it's not happening if only people only invest 50000 because a simple thumb rule today is uh if your monthly expenses is x you need to be investing anywhere between 75% to 100% of x every month for retirement including your mandatory epf deduction nps deduction etc so if you look at that for most people that 50000 is going to be a very small amount 50,000 per year is a very small amount. They need to be investing a lot more for retirement. So invest the right amount for retirement. And within that, if you say, okay, I I love that tax saving. I want that 50,000
0: as well. That's fine. With the new tax regime, one obvious candidate for most of our investment is then equities or mutual funds because they are the highest returns in the market. How do we even weigh how much you should go into equities?
1: There are many, many problems with equity investing. There are many people who think that just because I'm young, I, I can afford to be in 100% equity. That's extremely dangerous as we are currently seeing because after every crash, there is a couple of years of sideways market that happened in after 2008 until 2013. That's happening currently now. So we can't afford to be uh, having too much equity in our portfolios. I would say for anybody, 50% equity in a, in a portfolio for a need that's like 15 years away, 20 years away is good enough. 60% if they're comfortable with it. The uh, For young people, it's easier because they, they started with lean portfolios. So it's easier for them to have those uh, high equity exposures immediately. Whereas for older people, they would have huge corpus in EPF and they would have something like 80% fixed income and like. 10%, 20%, 20% equity. For them, it's a lot tougher. Have the balance. Just because something is more attractive, we can't chase after it because that'll again, equity is like fire, I keep saying. Fire is essential for our living. But if you can't play with it, it will burn you. So, we had to have that balance.
0: But then what is the balance? What is say 40%? If 60% is in equity, then what is my 40%? Um,
1: PPF is good enough. For a start, for a start, for most people, PPF is a. I mean, if they are, if they are not in EPF, PPF is a very good uh, option. But the 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 catch here is that the moment you you focus on asset allocation, the moment you say I'm going to have this much mix, whatever that mix may be, it it can even be forty percent or thirty percent equity, whatever that mix. Once you say I'm going to have a mix, then that mix is going to be disturbed by market fluctuations every year. It's going to deviate. And we need to reset that asset allocation, which is what is known as portfolio rebalancing. So for that rebalancing, you need liquid instruments on either side. Equity is fairly liquid, unless you have the ELSS, all other forms of equity is fairly liquid, you can liquidate it. On the debt side, many of the traditional debt products are all liquid. EPF is not uh, as liquid as we want it to be. PPF is certainly not liquid for the first seven years. NPS is even worse than that. So. We can start with a traditional product and add a debt mutual fund to it to offer that kind of liquidity where we can shift money back and forth from equity to the debt fund or debt fund to the equity, depending on the variations as per market conditions.
0: How does one know then if one's investment strategy as it stands is flawed? Like, What is that sort of classic giveaway for you? Uh, That's a hard thing to say because uh, I mean, uh, I would say there's
1: no right thing, but I I would say if you don't know what you are actually investing for, then it's a problem. I mean, I have seen many people who have been saving tax year after year after year, and they have not once in 15, 20 years of earning sat down and done a proper retirement planning calculation. They have not actually structured their portfolio according to a solid plan. So a a lack of planning, I
0: think it's typically a flaw. If you are going to go beyond equities, what are the instruments that you recommend to people? There are several options depending on the risk appetite for people. I would say if you don't mind the tax,
1: a simple recurring deposit can do magic. For the fixed income component of the portfolio, uh, you can start an RD for up to ten years, uh, as long as one doesn't mind the tax. But again, you have with RD, you don't, you cannot freely rebalance back and forth. You can't break the RD. If you break it, you'll uh, that. But one thing I would urge investors is to get used to debt funds at an early stage because debt funds are wonderful products which most of us don't appreciate. Uh, I would say they are more valuable than equity mutual funds because today. I can buy any stock that an equity fund typically invests in. If I have a dematacom account, it's easy for me, but I can't do that with bonds. I can't go out and buy the bonds, the kind of bonds that a debt mutual fund has and the kind of diversification a debt mutual fund offers with those bonds is something that's very difficult to for, for, an, for an individual investor to accomplish. Unfortunately, two things are a problem. One is every time they see high returns in uh, high interest rates and fixed deposits, they forget about debt funds, like what's happening now. And uh, things that that keeps happening in the bond market, like what happened with Franklin, what happened with uh, bonds defaulting and so on, that can spook investors. But I think they should look beyond that and uh, keep investing in debt funds. It will help them because India is uh, going through a shift in the way it's planning for retirement. Even five years ago, most retirees would say, I would just go buy a pension or I'm getting a pension. I'm I'm going to invest in small saving uh, schemes, post office monthly income schemes, something like that. And that's it. I don't have any other corpus to play with. But more and more as time passes by, we are looking at retirees with a larger and larger corpus to play with. So they are going to have a significant chunk of the corpus, assuming that you cover the basic post office schemes, monthly income schemes, everything done, you guarantee income with it, there will still be a chunk of corpus left to invest in equity or debt products. And debt mutual funds can play a big role uh, for uh, reasonably safe income generation after retirement. So it's better to get used to it now when you are several years away from
0: retirement to that. Fundamentally, we all look at it as a we like to look at our investments on, and especially now you can, which is look at it daily. You can look at your mutual fund daily, be like, Oh, it's now 15. Oh, yesterday it was 13. And you know, what are the perils that come with also that sort of information overload that you have now where you can actually track everything you do on a daily basis and watch it every day and decide what to do. I think it's a growth
1: curve. I think it's, uh, I think it's something that we have to uh, let it play and, allow people to get over it i think i i know investors who did that in the know, five years ago seven years ago but many of them are not doing it now but they because they realize it's it's of little use they don't control what's happening in the market and they cannot they cannot wait for the dips to invest or they cannot wait for the right opportunity to exit or enter so i would say it's it's part of the growth process it's a part of uh, maturing to become a, a better investor i think we should just let it slide because people are going to do it anyway. We, of course, we can always preach that it should not be done. But most people are going to do it. Yes, uh, And I think we should just let them let them be. That's how I would view it. I think we should stop looking at returns at all uh, completely. That's the only way to, I would say, to stay invested effectively in equity is to forget about returns. What I would urge people to do is to look at the corpus and ask yourself, what is the corpus actually worth? For example, let's say I want to buy myself an expensive car in seven years and I've taken a small exposure of equity for that. What is it worth after two years? Can I even buy a two-wheeler with that money? Or what kind of car can I buy? Can I buy a low-end car? So uh, instead of looking at something that's not in our control, we should look at the corpus and ask, how effectively am I going to get to the corpus I need? The problem with most people cannot get their head around is that Portfolio management is often about playing by playing it by ear. You can't say, I've paid a road, that's the road, you just stick to that road. That won't happen. You have to adapt and adjust yourself as per what the market tells you. And we should not be uh, shy of saying, okay, I, I've invested in equity for three, four years, but my goal is coming up and I've not got the return I want. So I'm going to stop and I'm going to invest, focus on fixed income. I mean, that's also fine. And that's not failure, as many people think it would be. It's really not. So I would say, look at the corpus and then look at the asset allocation. If your asset allocation is deviated by 5% on either side of what you think is your ideal asset allocation, then a rebalance is necessary. Otherwise, you don't need
0: to rebalance. Today's episode was produced by Jairad Singh, Sunai Marathi and Anuja Singh. For a daily spotlight on people, ideas and stories that matter, subscribe to us. We're available on Plus, Spotify, Apple, Google Podcasts and all other platforms of your choice. For any news tips, email us at toipodcast at timesinternet.in.